Hey, Ben. So I had this question that came to me when we were thinking about this episode and that, and I'm, I just want to ask you this question. Um, if you literally had everything, what would you do? You mean everything in terms of material possessions and security, all that kind of stuff? What do you mean by everything? Yeah, well, I think both of those. How do you think about everything? I suppose I would think of everything as the maximization of um, personal fulfillment and well-being and all of those kinds of things thereunto. Yeah. So for you, everything isn't material goods. No, not at all. And I think if I had all those things, like, let, let's just simplify it and say, okay, if I didn't have to work to earn a living, if I had unlimited time to pursue whatever I wanted to pursue, I would still be very busy. You know, I would still be engaged in uh, various types of, I'd probably really ramp up my philanthropic endeavors. I would probably um, spend more time uh, with my family, right? I would spend more time uh, doing some of those things that I think are really enrich enriching, especially while the kids are younger. Uh, I would explore nature a little bit more. Um, but I would still bring the USS Cleveland <laughs> to Cleveland. I would still be engaged in that type of philanthropy. Yes, the uh, the USS Cleveland Legacy Foundation is a fantastic um, endeavor that I'm in involved with. Check out ussclevelandorg and, um, you know, I, I think I would be, I am, and I would be continually, I will be continually interested in how we make the world a better place. And I, I think that that's a lifetime endeavor and that's not going to go away. And I think I would just, I would relish the opportunity to have more time to devote to those types of things. You know, the problem with asking you this kind of question, Ben, is you're bent like I am. <laughs> <laughs> We're both bent. Most yeah, we're bent, but in a way that I think is awesome, that we're going to try to bend our listeners a little bit in this episode. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. So th the title of this episode is Imagination Beyond the Struggle mm. of Life. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to have made it in life and society? And I think most people looking at our culture and probably their own life thinks about material sure. goods and wealth. And for people who have food risk, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. That's totally reasonable, right? Um, so what does it mean to have made it in life and society? why there's more beyond the struggle of life and why that really matters and how all of us might start or continue that journey and make the world better. Outstanding. So maybe we just start at that beginning point, which is what does it mean to have made it in life and society? And you kind of already asked me that question in a different way, but I think that many people, when they think that, hey, I've made it, oftentimes think of, you know, that they they have the ability to live in luxury, material luxury, uh, and that that's kind of the popular conception of having made it. And maybe that's a maybe that's a Western and an American conception. But I think that I mean, I've met a lot of people from other countries and I think they kind of think that way, too. Uh, so frequently the conversation is about material possessions, wealth, salary. 
And, uh, you know, I think that's where our minds oftentimes go or a lot of people's minds go initially. Yeah. I mean, you get out from under your parents' auspices, as mm -hmm. it were, and you, you're focused on, well, what am I going to do now? I started off as a musician, so. So you didn't care at all you know, about making any money. <laughs> well, actually, I worked. I was a church music minister. I had a very um, lucrative patron in, in as much as the arts are concerned. Right? Yes, lu lu lucrative patron. It's all relative. huh? I mean, I worked at the fifth largest um, Methodist church in the country, First United Methodist in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're fantastic. Had a great program for the arts, K through 12 choirs and stuff. So, you know, yes, I was a musician, but I, I was no dummy on the cash front. And that was a value that I was raised for. Right. And, you know, parents always asking, what are you going to do to support yourself? And the idea of going back and living with my parents was, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. mortifying. Right. Because I'd have to be like, you're right. I should have never majored right. in music. <laughs> that would have been a double hit to the ego. I'm a loser who can't make any money. And I have a degree that doesn't make any money. Oh, man. But you're thinking about how to make money, right? Because you got to get on a trajectory. If you're going to get married and have kids, kids cost mm -hmm. cash. Right. Many things cost cash. And I would suggest that not all people coming, for example, straight out of college have perhaps the same orientation that you or I did about, hey, I need to be independent. There are people who maybe don't have as strong of an inclination towards that. Although I think that that is an admirable aspiration to be able to take care of yourself financially. And, uh, you know, the truth is, though, with when it comes to salary, is that uh, let's talk about podcast listeners. So we did a little research and looking at podcast listeners and 45% of you podcast listeners. Now, we don't know what it is for the Indigo podcast, but in general, out there among podcast listeners, 45% of them are making north of $75,000 a year. Uh, and many of you are making much, much, much more than that. Uh, so, you know, a relatively well-off group, um, especially when you compare it with uh, even national norms in the United States or even more um, broadly across the you know, the entire world, um, you know, that's that's quite, uh, quite good. Uh, but, you know, I think the, the whole idea here about having made it in life and society is a fool's errand. It's um, one that will just lead you down a path of always wanting a bigger boat. And guess what? There's always a bigger boat. There will always be somebody making more money than you. There will always be something with somebody with something more that you don't have, a toy that you don't have. And those things, I think, you know, history is replete with examples and lots of evidence to show us that that doesn't lead to a sense of meaning and purpose. And now, it can lead you to some perhaps temporary happiness. Like I don't know of a whole lot of people who are sad when they're riding around on a jet ski. I'm, I'm borrowing that uh, from a, a comedian I heard. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that there there's um, certainly much more beyond that, right? Well, you get out of college and if you're a hard charger, like a lot of the people that listen to our podcast, what am I going to do? Oh, I okay, I'm in accounting. I can't just be a regional firm. I need to get into one of the big four because then from the big four, you do so many time there. If you're not going to make partner, you're able to leap into industry. And then you're this, and then you're going to be the CEO. Okay, what, what roles do I get 
need to get in order to be able to get a senior VP that targets me for a CEO role in a certain industry. Okay, now you're CEO. Now, how do you get to be a CEO for the next level? You have executive search firms that you have relationships and it's just... Well, and and some of those people are so ambitious that apparently if you're at one of those big four, you'll just cheat on your CPA exam. Yeah, yeah, on the ethics Oof. portion. Of course, and I've met those guys, but and I live in Park City, right? This is one of the 90210 zip codes in the country. That's not your actual zip code. And I meet people that are. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> All right. 90210. No, that's not the zip code, but that's a that you get what I'm saying. <laughs> but for our international listeners, what does that mean, right? So, not <laughs> right, right? This is like there's right places where people with a lot of wealth mm. live all right and i find people comparing themselves all the time sure and they're keeping up they can't just have a tesla they have to have this year's tesla and that kind of stuff and i think it comes from this lack of an imagination right mm-hmm. okay and i can't tell you how many ceos that i have got that i've talked to that don't oh now i'm in the c-suite what do i do well now you got to have morals and virtue, buddy. To guide the ship, right? You need to know where you're going. You know, it's the, what are they, the saying? The dog that catches the car. And so even people that get up to that level, they have a hard time having an imagination of what then. So it's easy to go with the script they've always had of, well, let's just get more then. Mm-hmm. Well, more money, more clients, more stuff. And, and that's not necessarily bad, but is that all that life really is for you? I think that if it is, you're going to end up in a place where you may have some some regrets later on. And that that when you're just chasing happiness, if you're just chasing, um, you know, looking good in front of your rich neighbors, you know, I, I think that that could be fun for a while. However, and it certainly could lead to some, you know, wonderfully comfortable experiences and and those types of things. But uh, over time, it will become shallow, and you're not you're going to get used to it. We adapt very, very, very quickly to good surroundings, comfortable in environments. We call this hedonic adaptation, and that you know when we have something really good happening to us, we tend to uh, you know get used to it. And the same thing if something is you know if you're going through really tough times, you're also going to adapt to that as well. Uh, and you know you're it's like what we see with pay raises. In the, in the job satisfaction uh, research. So people get pay, res- pay raises, they like it, their job satisfaction goes up, but it only goes up for a little while. And after a period of time, their job satisfaction tends to start to decline back to around where it was prior to their pay raise. And that's interesting, right? We would think that it would just continue, if it were a linear relationship between your income and uh, your satisfaction, we would expect them both to keep going up. The other thing that we do frequently, many people, just thinking of you know the royal we, many people do when they start to accumulate more uh, wealth, they start to uh, have a higher salary, is they start to spend more, right? They start to uh, not save. They start to live at these different types of lifestyle levels, and that creates this never-ending treadmill, if you're not careful, of continually trying to keep up. And it's not productive is our is our big point here. And it's a, it is, as you point out, I think a lack of imagination about what's possible, what brings a person a, a sense of meaning and purpose and eventually uh, happiness as a result 
um, in life. Yeah. So you're going to get the cash. We know from the science that it's not going to make you more happy. You're going to feel happy for a couple weeks, maybe. And then you're going to go back to your same level of happiness. So if you want to have extra happy, you got to focus on the internal stuff, right? And the existential stuff to achieve happiness. But what this is, is decadence, right? And this uh, decadence is a moral or cultural decline that is characterized by excessive indulgence in pleasure or luxury. And so, you know, if your favorite meal is a New York strip, right, steak with a potato, if you ate that three times a day, I, you know, get, I give you maybe 10 days before you're tired of your favorite meal, mm -hmm. right? That's just how we are. We need variety. But instead, we just seek the struggle of more accumulation. And hey, go in. If you're at the CEO of a $200 million company, getting up to being growing that company or jumping ship to another company of a five, I mean, that's $500 million company. That's a struggle and it can eat all of your time. It'll eat your lunch as a person. And okay, but if you're not, if you're doing that for being happy, or if you're doing that to make yourself feel better, well, you'll have a whole bunch of that struggle. But I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that are just like, I finally got here. I lost my family and everything along the way, but I finally achieved everything I had put my heart on. And I'm still not satisfied. Mm -hmm. It's never enough. And that's the rat race. Now, this is not for the person who's struggling to make ends meet. Right. But so many of the people we have, like, hey, dude, you live in Park City. You already made it, mm -hmm. right? And if you are if you feel happy having more than the person next to you, and that's what you're actually relishing and making other people feel bad, that is horrible. That is not a way to live, right? Mm -hmm. I, and, you know, we look at studies and science all the time, right? To try it. But the things that we're trying to illuminate with that is, hey, what are the better ways to live or do leadership or management or culture that maybe aren't just apparent, right? You just wouldn't maybe assume those things. But there's a whole host of stuff that'll imply, you know, better ways of living. But some of this is going to be just straight up tribal knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. You're a jerk if your happiness is derived off of making other people unhappy. I don't think anybody, it's so obvious, no study needs to be done, right? <laughs> I think perhaps, right? So, you know, I think there's this, so there's this whole idea that, uh, you know, about what's, what it means to have made it in life and society. I think we've kind of mowed that lawn, so to speak, and that many people think of it in terms of material wealth and, and they attach their happiness to that. So maybe let's move now to, to this idea of the imagination and why there is more beyond the struggle of life, uh, why that matters, uh, why perhaps we should take our focus off of material success as the end all and be all of our existence and do something better, uh, do something more, do something that perhaps is oriented in a different direction. Um, and, you know, you can do it for a, a variety of different reasons, but um, we'll, we'll discuss a, a handful of them here, you know, in terms of maybe why you should care and maybe why you even, <laughs> why, why we even feel like that argument, why we need to make that argument is kind of a, a strange endeavor in and of itself. So many HBR, Harvard Business Review articles, are the surprising data for why actually being nice to your people <laughs> will make you more money, right? I, I can't even tell you. I and It's a lot of articles, Ben. You've mm -hmm. seen them where you 
they start off with why is it lucrative to do the right thing? Well, in the entire uh, field of strategic management, right, where we in that um, academic discipline, oftentimes the big dependent variable, the thing that they're trying to influence, trying to see what what is uh, driving it, right? So looking at, at, at this outcome is firm performance, right? They want to see what makes a firm more uh, successful in terms of its um, profitability and various other measures related to firm performance. And um, what's interesting about that is you're right that oftentimes you'll come across um, studies that say, hey, you know, if you do these various human resource practices that are are you know supposedly good for your company, oh, by the way, it also increases firm performance. So that's why you should do them. And yeah, maybe that is part of why you should do them. But perhaps there's a fundamental reason that hey, we also just need to do the right thing. Right? You see this a lot of times with um, things about um, diversity, right? You'll say, oh, you know, having more diverse teams is great for decision making. And there's, there are studies that show that. Being um, nice to gay people will net you 10% more cash at the end of the year. And you're I, like, what? I haven't seen that specific study. That's rather, rather specific, but sure. But you know what I'm saying? Uh, so... But then there's the other argument, which maybe says that there's there are ethical reasons why we do certain things and perhaps should be more fundamental than just looking at this outcome of firm performance. Or um, maybe if you boil that down to the individual level in terms of your own financial success, I, we can find examples of people throughout history who one could argue are uh, extraordinarily successful in terms of the idea of being influential uh, and were um, people who were oftentimes people of great virtue, people who we look up to, who had nothing in material wealth. You think about Mother Teresa, St. Francis of Assisi. These are people who gave up everything in order to make the world a better place. And our world would be worse without them. And I think we need, I'm not saying that everybody needs to, you know, shed all their worldly possessions and um, go off and help the poor, although it's not a bad idea. (laughs) I think I've read that somewhere. And, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot of value in considering what kind of positive dent you want to make in the universe beyond the stuff that's just going to make you feel better about yourself. Yeah. And I then during this prep of this episode, it's like, well, why can we give people a reason for why they must do it? And I thought about it over the weekend and I came back with a fire in my belly and I'm calling you. I'm like, Ben, if we have to make the argument to people that they need to be good people, we've lost. What is this (laughs) crazy? I I reject that. Right. We need to do it because it's who we are. And we also need to minimize the influence of the jack wagons and the numbskulls that are out there destroying lives and leaving a wake of destruction behind them, only seeking material wealth and decadence. And yeah, that, I let mean, me ask. Well, I was, I was just going to say that, you know, the, the whole uh, industry, I'll call it, of you know, how you can maximize your income, right? If you go out there and look at like any like training courses, so social media stuff, the world is full of folks out there who are saying you need to do this, this, and this to make more money, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I, I'm all for being smart about money and about making good investments and making good choices. That's all great. But it's interesting because that stuff is very, very popular, 
right? If we titled our podcast something about how to get rich in 90 days, the everyday would, millionaire, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We would have a lot of people clicking on that. And, and that, you know, and that's why I said to you, perhaps we need to maybe explain a little bit about why it's important. And I think we are, uh, but your point is well taken, Chris. Yeah. So, but let me ask you, Ben, because it, and I haven't briefed you on any of these questions. I said, Hey, I've got some questions I'm going to ask you live in front of our audience that might be challenging, mm. but, um, all right. You got out of high school. Where'd you go to college? I went to Villanova University. Why'd you go to Villanova? Because they had an amazing and still have an amazing Navy ROTC program. And I was offered a scholarship so I could go there, have my tuition paid for. And after four years, be commissioned as an officer in the Navy. Right. But there's lots and, of and it's a fan And it's a fantastic university. That it, is, it was a competitive it, school. It's a, it's a very good school academically. It's a Catholic institution. And I happen to be a practicing Catholic. It um, is an Augustinian university. So it's steeped in the tradition of St. Augustine, which is rooted in the idea of the importance of community and helping each other and doing the right thing for the world. And that all plus the fact that, hey, after this, I get to go um, be an officer in the Navy all resonated very strongly with me. Yeah. But if you had, you know, ye old community college versus Villanova, mm -hmm. you're going with Villanova because sure. you had aspirations and educational desires. Okay. So then you're in the Navy. Then you mm -hmm. go to grad school. Where do you go to grad school? I went to the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And why did you pick that place? Well, I lived there and I, they had the programs that, um, I, I was interested in and, um, and I applied and got in, I was lucky enough to be one of the ones who got in and they had fantastic, fantastic faculty members who were doing interesting things. And, and the, my, the, the area of study, um, that, uh, they're offering, it was a doctoral program in organizational science, um, you know, spoke directly to my interest in making the world better through the organizations that we have. Sure. And how are you thinking about money along the way? You're like, you're probably thinking not enough, really. Like sometimes, so, so really? here's the, you know, well, here's the thing. Like I, sometimes I'll, I'll sit around, I'll be like talking with folks and whatnot. And, you know, they'll be talking about their various, you know, financial success or things that they have and so forth. And I think about maybe I should have like gone after more lucrative professions and stuff. You know, and I start thinking, have I been the sucker? But then I realize, no, I haven't in any way because I've gotten to do amazing things. And, you know, I'm, I, I live a very comfortable lifestyle. Like I'm not going to, I'm fine. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that there's, um, you know, I, so I didn't think a whole lot about money along the way in terms of, oh gosh, you know, I, I really, I, I should be an investment banker versus being an officer in the Navy. It was more about, hey, I get to like do some really cool things for the best country on the planet. Okay, I'll do that. Um, and, uh, you know, when it came to going to grad school, it was about here's a way that I can expand my skills and knowledge in a way that seems really interesting and useful. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be a bit of a slog getting through and whatnot. And you're not going to be, there's a lot of rice and bean eating for a handful of years by my wife and I, but that was, that was just the way it was. Right. Now talk about how you organize your life, right? Do you have a lot of slack time? No, <laughs> I don't. But I, even back, even before kids. No, you'd, like you'd fill it on up. Wouldn't that's, you? And that's, what's interesting. I know. Yeah. You know me pretty well. Uh, you know, it's, 
uh, when I look back at times, like I, I think, man, I'm really busy, but I oftentimes fill my time up when I, when I do get slack, I, I find interesting things and I, I do them. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of my fault that I do that, but it also has allowed me to do some really interesting things. Like we don't make money off this podcast, but I know that a lot of people really enjoy it and I think get some benefit from it. So I, we try to make time to do it. And I think that that's a valuable thing. I would love for, you know, the prospect of one day, maybe my kids will listen to this and they, maybe they'll get a little nugget from dad. Right. I think that that's good. And you, they'll get some nuggets from you too. <laughs> Not the nuggets you want them to get. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got some good nuggets. Hey, so, so here, but here's something I, and right. This is live Ben. So after your son died, mm. I watched you reorganize your priorities. Yeah. Like I, so one of the things we had some like heart to heart conversations, which I'm not going to air the kind of stuff that we, we talked about, but you're like, daggone it. I only want to do the stuff that matters. Mm-hmm. I remember when you saying that some, something in that degree. And you know what? Something else that I never would have thought that I'm delighted that you're doing is you bought heavy stuff on the internet and are going to throw it. <laughs> And the and the Highland Games. This is very different behavior for one Ben Barron. Yeah. yeah. So what are you thinking about there? You're actually making some place for some leisure and actually more family time. Yeah, I definitely am trying. And yeah, you're right. I mean, when uh, yeah, after Vinny died, he was so that we're recording this here at the end of June. It'll probably be released sometime early July. So, you know, more than a year and a half ago was when he died. And um, it, yeah, that it was a tremendous and still is a tremendously challenging thing for for me and my family. And it certainly makes made me rethink priorities in a lot of ways. You think, oh, well, you know, I want to make sure that I'm spending good moments with my family and, and, you know, not not wasting time on stuff that I don't want to do if I if at all possible. Um, and so. You know, I, I've I have reorganized in certain ways. Um, now, g- getting to your point about you know doing some uh, interesting leisure activities, or you know, it's it's funny because I, I am a strange person. I recognize this in a lot of ways. So, you know, a, a lot of guys who are in my kind of social network, like when they have free time, they watch sports, they um, play golf. Those are the two big things, right? I play golf like twice or maybe three times a year. And I only, I, I, I rarely watch sports, right? And so when I, when I was thinking about, well, what, what do I want to do? Well, you know, for the past number of years, I've been interested in various types of strength training and whatnot. And um, so I've, I have gotten interested in throwing things. And so there's, a, there's an entire weird sport of uh, Scottish heavy, heavy athletics, which involves going out in a field while wearing a kilt and, uh, and chucking heavy things. So I'm starting to train for that. And maybe we'll kind of follow that here on the podcast. So in uh, you know next year in late June, I hope to be able to uh, to do my first one. So, right. But this is different. It you is know, different. one of those things. The thing I see when people are going after cash, right, is they just get on that go get more cash treadmill, and that becomes a script for their life, mm. and they adapt themselves. They organize themselves around getting cash. And they just go. And then then it's so ingrained in their habits 
that it's hard for them to get off the just go get more cash and laugh about it phase, which making cash and laughing is awesome. I mean, Mm -hmm. but one of the things and I don't know if this will resonate, Ben, one of the things I've noticed about you is as you are very activity driven and like, okay, this is and this is going to make an impact and this is going to be make an impact. And that's awesome. But I really saw reevaluation. What seemed to me from the outside, remember, I, I can't read your mind. So this may be a total different. And I see a different Ben now that that's not necessarily massively activity driven, mm. but is much more. Not that you weren't on the quality side because you just didn't do, you know, you weren't picking up shifts at the local Dairy Queen or something like right. that. Right. Right. But but you're being really strategic with your time and you're also taking time for yourself. Would that be fair? I'd say in, in a lot of ways, that's fair. I don't think I, I, I still probably don't take enough time for myself. I don't have a lot of leisure, right? I mean, I got, I literally got up at four this morning so that I could work out, um, prior to, uh, another activity that I had before I started work. But, um, you know, I, I I think so, but I think your point about the fact that what we deem as important can reorganize our lives. And here's the thing, it, it can do it in subtle uh, ways that maybe we don't even notice. So if you have been chasing the almighty dollar from job to job, oh, here's one where I'm gonna make more money. I'm gonna you know, see a company X, I'm going to company Y. You know, I, I, it's fine to change jobs if you need to, whatever. But if you start reorganizing your entire life around that, um, you know, or I guess the point being it can happen unintentionally or without you noticing, it becomes your default setting of this is how I do things. And, you know, someone once uh, said, and I think there's some value here too. It's like, if you want to know what someone cares about, you can like look at their calendar. Right. I think that there's some truth there. And I I think it kind of ties into this idea of what do you really value? And, uh, when we talked with Eric Helzer in our um, that episode we did with him about ethics and uh, character, I mean, one thing he talked about is, um, you know, that there, uh, I forget exactly how he talked about it. I think he, oh, he talked about it in terms of um, eulogy values, right? There are these values that you want people to perhaps say about you after you're not here. And I, I think if we are pretty honest with ourselves, I don't think most of us want somebody standing up and saying, yeah, they, they worked themselves to the bone every single day, ignored their family, but made a pile of cash. I, I, I don't, I don't think that's what a lot of people want. And, but a lot of people act that way. Yeah. And if you surround yourself with those kinds of people, mm. like when you die, the, your peer group's not going to care because your <laughs> death is, has nothing to do with their cash. Mm. Right. So Yeah. Well, one of the things that I want to do is like, it's easy. Like everybody thinks it's diabolical how we get to the wrong place in life. Right. And I think it's just insidious and step by step by step. Okay. I had a college. You know what? I had to barely make ends meet and ate ramen. I never want to eat ramen again. So I'm going to keep working. I'm going to get a second job. And so you start making money. And then long, long ago, you passed this point where you don't, you're not working for food anymore. You've got $500,000 in your retirement account. You live in a big house. You're not in that place, but you're still on that old script. Right. Or maybe you're Ben Barron. I just need to really make use of good steward of my life. And you're working, you're working, you're working, working. And then all of a sudden, you've just got to the end of your life with a bunch of activity and no mm-hmm. stuff for yourself. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And yeah, absolutely. And along the way, you probably watched a bunch of trash TV on Netflix. <laughs> right. And you picked up moral lessons. A lot of people's imaginations for how that to do life don't come from the classics and some of those kinds of things. Right. They come from what they see around them. And if all they see around them is people chasing the same thing, they've missed out. And what I want to do is throw a giant stick of dynamite into the script of your life, right? Now, may it never be like Ben faced a loss of a child, you know, but let's put on that imagination right now and say, stop. What if something really traumatic happened, right? I remember being in Afghanistan and when we go on convoys and you're like, man, maybe this is the last one. Yep. It starts to hone what you think about life. And you shouldn't have to put your hand on a hot iron or a hot stove and to learn that it's hot. You should be able to get close and be like, hey, that's hot. I can imagine I would burn myself, right? Mm -hmm. So in that space, right, let's stop. Let's blow up our lives for a moment here in our mind, in our imagination and say, what are we doing? Right. What? Are, where are we going? It reminds me of the famous commencement speech that David Foster Wallace delivered at Kenyon College in 2005. So David Foster Wallace was a, um, a writer. He was an acclaimed uh, fiction and nonfiction uh, journalist. Um, and in this, uh, in this commencement speech that he gave in 2005, he says a number of things. And it was actually published in a book called This is Water. But I want to read this quote, and it's a, a little bit long, but I think it speaks to some of these types of, of issues. Okay, here we go. This is from David Foster Wallace. Because here's something else that's true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we know all this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, bromides, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. Yeah, the, the default setting. And the default setting will eat your lunch every time. Yeah. And that's why we're saying this is this is the type of awareness, the type of waking up perhaps that I think is really really healthy and necessary uh for us to live more flourishing lives as adults 
and for us to have a better society as humans. If we don't, I think there's we we will fall into and perpetuate that culture of decadence. You know, you mentioned that a little bit earlier, and this uh, this this unbridled pursuit of more, which doesn't lead to happiness, by the way, in the long run. Yeah. So let let me talk about where not having this imagination can impact us. And this is going to sound crazy to you, Ben, probably. I don't know. A lot of stuff I say sounds crazy. But if if we had a replicator like on Star Trek, you know, like where um, the guy that was next gener- generation, he could press a button and be like, T, Earl Grey hot, right? And <laughs> you could get anything you want out of it. Mm-hmm. That means everybody would have everything. So we no longer need people to work to produce stuff. What then? How mm. would you organize a society where everybody had everything? We come up with some kind of energy thing that we have all of the energy. We don't, there, what do you do? Because yeah. most people say you get a bunch of stuff and then you die. And you know maybe you do some nice stuff and help charities, help other people learn how to make money. But here's another one. You know, in the next 40 to 80 years, global population will decline. Hmm. We haven't figured out how to have first world country standards and have more than the replacement amount of babies. Right. Now, some people say, well, that's good because a lot of people were hurting the environment. But let's say we weren't hurting the environment and we just have a decline and it declines and it declines. Our whole economy is based off of selling the same stuff to the same people, maybe it's a renewable, selling new stuff to the same people or developing new markets. Like how do we get a third world country wealthy enough to buy our iPhones, Mm -hmm. right? Right, that's kind of the thing. But if there is a population decline that is endless, you have to now be way more efficient to be able to make any wealth. And eventually there's just not enough people So how do you organize a society when capitalism can't work because there's not customers enough, right? This is a a place where imagination beyond just getting stuff now is needed and not a whole lot of people are thinking about it. Now we have some small think tanks, but these problems are so big that I think it's probably gonna take a whole planet of people thinking about how to organize. And I don't think it's just going to be people wanting to spend more time in leisure either, right? So there's there are a handful of different functions of work, right? What we consider work. Uh, one is certainly to get us you know, financial um, stability, uh, to have some sort of income. But I think we also work for other reasons, especially if we're doing work that we view as being meaningful and helping the world. That can be in, in, intrinsically motivating and satisfying in and of itself. Now, your your thought about you know once productivity reaches this point or once the standard of living is at this point, um, are we just all going to you know work fifteen hours a week and spend the rest of the time at the beach? I mean, that was that's something that economists and I, um, that's notably, what they thought. Right, right. So John Maynard Keynes thought a lot about that and 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 um, had some ideas around that. Uh, I don't think people are going to really do that. And I don't know exactly. Like that's that's something that I haven't researched much uh, or really thought a ton about. Um, but I think it it points to the idea that we must have a different orientation towards what's important. 
And, you know, some of that comes back to our ideas of, of community and social fabric and the bonds that we build with our with each other and, and prioritizing that so that when you you reach this point, perhaps where, um, you know, if it's the economy shifts in a certain way or if um, due to demographic shifts, we don't have enough customers for our businesses, those types of things that we can still survive and perhaps even flourish um, despite those challenges. Yeah, the, you got to have imagination to meet these new novel challenges. So much of our life has kind of been on autopilot, like we were talking. Okay, I'll get this job. I'll move on up. Oh, you pick your industry. You pick your flavor of job within that industry. Yeah. But that doesn't get us to the sweeter stuff. Now, I don't think, so that's just imagination about solving things that might blow up the whole paradigm. But now what about imagination within our current paradigm, right? So how might we start or continue the journey and make the world better? So even if you are somebody who's struggling to make ends meet, you're at that part of your life, or maybe that's been a continued thing in your life, I think you can still have an imagination around despite working hard to make ends meet and there's not a whole lot of time just having that mindset and orientation and imagination towards that stuff is a better way to be. It's the same thing if you're a mid-career professional, right? You know, I see this thing. It's like, no, 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 I got to work. I got to work. I got to be a wage slave. And now, okay, now I'm retired. Now I can start getting involved with a nonprofits or some of these kind of things. I think if you wait to the end, you're going to be helpful, sure. But you'd be way more helpful if you'd been thinking and trying to imagine this stuff your whole entire life. Sure. You know, I, I think that if you are in the situation where you're just trying to make ends meet, I think it's going to be very hard to say, I should now just spend more time on, you know, helping out the nonprofits. That, that's a hard sell. However, you can make the world better, I think, through your work that pays you as well. Exactly. Right? And exactly. that's, I think mean, that's a great way to be thinking about how to orient yourself because you can think about, is my organization actually doing stuff that I, that I'm proud of, that is helpful for in some way for the, for the, the world at large? Um, is the environment within the organization one in which I can help other people, who, my coworkers, right? The people I work around, um, can that be a way in which I contribute? I think it, it has to do with just identifying your sphere of influence. What do you have control over um, in terms of the relationships that are around you, in terms of your ability to to influence things, perhaps within an organization, you know, and uh, and then identifying what you might be able to offer given your skill set. Um, I think looking at, I think this is a helpful thing to think about at any tr point in your professional career in your life is thinking about what are those those areas that I have some influence in. What does that look like? And, and then how do I plug into that? You know, one thing that has been really um, gratifying, I'll say, for, for me in my military career is that I have noticed that as I've gotten more senior, I have control over certain things and I'm able to influence things in, in ways that are extraordinarily 
um, rewarding, not from a financial standpoint. They don't give us bonuses for good ideas in the military, right? Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't give us bonuses unless they we they really need people like us and don't want us to quit, <laughs> right? So, um, but 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 it is gratifying to say, hey, here's something that I I, I want to fix or make better. Um, a process that's going to help some people do something easier or whatever, right? So I mean, I work kind of on the administrative side of of the military. I'm not um, out there designing weapons and and that kind of thing. But um, there, being able to identify your sphere of influence and and then how you can plug into that, a helpful exercise at any point in your career. And some, I think you have to systematically reevaluate that, right? Because your spheres change and what you have to offer, either in terms of your skill or knowledge or what you're willing to offer or what you're maybe, maybe are really driven by, those things will change as you grow older. Yeah. And, but the thing is, is your sphere of influence, like even if you're a part-time worker and you're still in high school, you have a sphere of influence Mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, make, we say in scouts, right? And a lot of people that go out into camping, we say leave no trace or leave the area better than you found it. Like that's something that we can do all over at our part-time job at the fast food restaurant. Um, in our college, if you're working a minimum wage job because that's just how and where you find yourself, that's being kind to your coworkers, yep. right? That's doing yep. the spruce up that around that. If you're somebody that's a CEO, okay, you can have a different influence. But if we just wait for the Warren Buffetts and the Bezoses of the world to, well, they've got the money, mm-hmm. that's the wrong answer. If anything we've learned from these crowdfunding and GoFundMe kind of stuff, um, was that the Reading Rainbow? You know, there was a GoFundMe for Reading Rainbow to translate it into a bunch of different um, countries' languages and to put the archive for free on the web. That raised all the money it need needed, like in 10 minutes or something. It was crazy, right? People in mass doing tiny things can do way more and more focused kind of things than you can do at a programmatic. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundations, okay, they can do some stuff, but they'll never be as effective as every person looking at their sphere of influence, sprucing up the area around them, and and looking at what they can offer, right? Yeah. So the the my favorite part of what you just mentioned is, you know, if you're working in the fast food restaurant, right? Let's say you're entry level. Um, maybe you got promoted to. I don't know if this is a promotion, but you're 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 the person who uh, takes orders for the drive through, right? If you're doing that in a way where you're kind to the people coming through, you're doing it in a way that's efficient. You're being nice to the people around you you're being encouraging to your fellow co-workers that's your sphere of influence and guess what you do have influence there you are able to be a positive force in the universe just right there if you have the imagination and the will to do so and your your point is very well taken that if we all do those types of things then you know beyond the struggle of life there's a lot of things that we can do and i think it's great to start to inculcate that type of mentality um, really uh, along, you know, at, at, at early ages, right? Um, you know, uh, something I tell my kids is like, hey, like they'll say like, hey, he's a new kid in school. I'm like, okay, are, are you doing, are you going out of your way to make sure that, that new kid feels like they're included, right? And that's their sphere of influence. And that's a way in which they can make the world better. Yeah. And if you feel like, hey, you know, I want to up my game and offering the world something, 
but you don't have, you've only been focused on getting more cash, getting that next promotion. Well, get good at something that helps the world be a better place, right? <laughs> and and I see this all the time. I'll see kids come out of undergrad and be like, hey, I want to go work for some NGO overseas and solve hunger in a third world country or something. And then they go to apply and they're like, we don't need you. Why? Yeah, like those the few seats that we have for unskilled labor are, are filled immediately. There's like a five-year wait list. But do you have experience setting up like cell phone towers or you know telecommunication networks across an entire country no yeah. oh we're looking for one of those right you giving has gotten so focused and awesome that you actually have to get some expertise to even get in to where the experts are playing ball and making the world a better place. Yeah. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation go find leading PhD researchers and help support their efforts on right. like malaria and stuff. Like malaria is a mosquitoes kill people all over the world, right? That so if you want to play at that level, you got it. You don't have something to offer, go get some skills to offer. Sure, sure. If you're thinking about, you know, either non-governmental organizations or uh, if you're thinking about you know various parts of the US government like the, you know the State Department, you have the USAID, these various organizations that exist to go uh, you know if it's a government organization then it's going out there to uh, exert policy in what we call soft power, right um, to make uh, the rest of the world better in, in certain ways. Um, you know there are special skills that you will need and so get good at stuff. Uh, get, get good at those things that are going to be useful in in helping the world be a better place, uh, because that's gonna that's gonna reap benefits for for you personally. Even though we don't really have to make that you know argument necessarily, uh, but it will help you in terms of being able to do something that brings meaning and purpose. So you know something I want to throw in on there, Ben. So that's like big world, other countries, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We have done work with nonprofits that are doing stuff in the healthcare space mm -hmm. and the aid space. Uh, your day of service for Vinny, mm -hmm. you know, goes and helps a bunch of nonprofits. But we've been in and around and on the boards of various nonprofits that they they have the funds and the desire to really help people, but they didn't grow up in the business world. Yeah, they right? have no no good management and leadership, and they're all over the place. <laughs> right. And so they, they you have CEOs that are like, hey, I I can raise money and I have a passion for this. They need some free consulting and coaching mm -hmm. to help them learn. Boards of directors that do a horrible job making sure that every dollar that pours into that nonprofit is used effectively. They don't know. Some of these boards, they have to just have half of the members of the board are just people off the street. Well, you could go in and help with your just how to be a team, how to project, man you're a project management professional. We have to coach project management skills all the time in the nonprofit space because they just, they didn't grow up that way, right? And so these things, you don't have to be a malaria expert or a global expert on something. There's bread and butter issues that the people that are trying to do better in your neighborhoods and in your communities and in your state, um, that need help that can use your help, even as a junior project manager. Another thing that I would encourage our listeners to think about is to think about your social milieu, your uh, network of people that, who, that you normally interact with. 
be it through work, various social types of uh, organizations that you're part of, whatever, uh, and maybe shake that up a little bit, right? So, um, Chris, tell me about who, if you had to describe your kind of social groups that you intersect with, um, you know, there out, out in Park City or or wherever, you know, you have the uh, you certainly have the Utah National Guard um, and others. How would you describe that? And what are some kind of differences in the values in terms of what you get from those different experiences? I mean, Ben, you've said this to me several times. You're like, you're super social. And I am, <laughs> right? And I have, and you look at me like, how do you, my social group is very broad. Mm-hmm. I have everybody from guys in the Alabama National Guard and my like my scoutmaster and these kinds of people are actually my scoutmaster did, he passed away, but I'm still friends with his family out of Alabama. I have technology people in Tennessee. I have people from the investment bank. I have friends that work at think tanks. And on the political spectrum, I have friends that publish in the Jacobin, which is the Socialist Party in America's like think piece publication. And then I have people that are like straight up libertarians. And I'm on group chats with a bunch of different people. I mean, Ben, you're always like, how do you have time to read all this stuff? Well, I work a lot less than you, one. Um, (laughs) I I have have a whole gamut, and it helps me to see, and it helps my creativity. Hmm. It really helps my creativity. And how does it spur your imagination, perhaps, in thinking about problems? Um, Or does it? Yeah, it totally does. Because one of the things are, you know, Ben, we think about, you know, our country and the world faces problems. Some of these problems are evergreen, right? Every generation has to remember how to not be a total jerk to their neighbor, right? That's something. (laughs) And you raise your kid up just because that kid stole your toy. You can't punch him in the face. That's not how neighborhoods work, Billy, right? (laughs) Like, so you start that kind of stuff. But then some of them are new. Some yeah. of some of the problems we have to learn again, mm-hmm. right? When I used to remember thinking like, how did Hitler ever come to power or Mussolini or any of these kinds of Gaddafi? And, you know, you'd look at some of that stuff, but you'd think, wait, with our knowledge of history and stuff, how does that happen? But then I've seen some very, very um, not nice behavior in our own country. Mm-hmm. Right. Between politicians and the kind of behavior and the way, you know, we have one of the um, I'm blanking on his name, the, the modernization of Congress. Um, yeah, Derek Kilmer, Derek Kilmer. You know, you meet Derek and you're like, well, this guy's really trying to make things better and bring people together. And then you mm-hmm. see some of these politicians, you're like, you are you are not acting very nice. Like, right. d- re- regardless of your position, your norms and decorum. So we've got to remember those things again. Like, what kind of country do we have and how do we talk to each other, Mm -hmm. right? And so stakeholder management, I come from a project management background. I start thinking, well, if I think this is a better idea for how we might organize as a neighborhood, as a city, as a state, as a country, how would my socialist friends think about that? Mm -hmm. You know, how would my libertarian friends think about that? Well, and here's the thing. Various other people couldn't even imagine that because they don't have any socialist friends or or libertarian friends, right? So if you're only stuck in your own echo chamber, so to speak, 
then you miss out on perhaps thinking differently about problems and uh, having at least some understanding of how other perspectives can be plausible. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's something that I, I, I think is really great about how you kind of maintain this, this um, wide range of, of relationships across various types of spectrums, socioeconomic spectrums, um, and, and various other ones. So I think that's some, maybe that's a lesson perhaps, uh, for all of us is that we want to encourage and foster an imagination about what we can do beyond just the struggle of life beyond the rat race. Well, get out of your bubble, right? Maybe, uh, you know, start to socialize with other groups a little bit more or get involved in some organizations that will expose you to different walks of life. I think that is a one way in which we can do that. Another thing that I think is really important is to think about, and this is great for us, I think, as parents, I think it's good for us as individuals to think of our lives not as not only as ones in which we're trying to uh, you know, generate wealth for the next generation of our families, but ones in which we're trying to cultivate virtue and virtuous habits and ways of living for ourselves and for our families. And some of my thinking around this has been shaped by um, some of the ideas that come from Adam Smith, uh, who is, you know, the uh, um, oftentimes considered the the father of capitalism and the, um, you know, he wrote The Wealth of Nations. But he also wrote another book called The Theory of Moral Sentiments. And in that, he talks about how man desires not only to be loved, but to be lovely, that we want other people's admiration and respect, and we want to deserve it. And I have to also credit uh, Russ Roberts of the of the podcast Econ Talk for oftentimes saying these types of ideas, which which uh, familiarized myself with him more, which I think is great. So check out his podcast too. Um, but th- this idea that you know if we want to be loved and lovely in in the world, um, there are a couple different paths towards that. One is through fame and and fortune and wealth. The other one being wisdom and virtue, and and Smith actually makes the argument that wisdom and virtue are the be- is is a better path um, for for people and for the for all of us together. So um, I think there's a lot of value in remembering that um, cultivating virtue by reading, getting familiar with philosophy, with um, all of the different areas of thought that have because we're not the first people to think about these things for sure right this, these are these are ideas that have been thought about for millennia and i think getting familiar with some of that is really helpful yeah the a lot of people just say oh something's bad here and they start going and doing stuff and don't even realize the unintended consequences and the injury that they do right So if you get familiar with the philanthropic landscape and the doing well landscape, do that, but observe it for a little while before you come stepping in. Even Bill Gates, I remember Bill Gates, I think it was in Wall Street Journal, um, wrote something like, I spent this many billions of dollars on education reform, and this is what I learned. So he had spent all this cash trying to just help out schools and people who had been working in the education space we're like, what is Bill Gates doing? Mm. They could see it was messed up, but he came in with his ideas and some of his experts, and he kind of made a bit of a mess. And he wrote about kind of, hey, I kind of made a little bit of a mess, but here's kind of what I learned and that kind of stuff. So make sure that now most of us are not wielding as big of a bludgeon as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, <laughs> but but being really smart in how you're executing good requires a lot of thinking and imagination. Right. 
what you will find if you haven't already, if you uh, you know are are financially stable and maybe you start making some donations to various charities, you're going to get that on the radar of other charities. And if you if your kids go to a private school or if you're involved in various faith-based organizations, whatever, you're going to start getting hit up for money all the time. All the time. And you will. And that and many of these organizations are doing amazing things. And But I think to your point, Chris, it's, it's wise to be careful and make sure that you're intentional about what you're supporting, how you're giving, and, and why. Um, there's a book called uh, Doing Good Better by Will McCaskill. Um, I recommend our leader, our uh, listeners, check that out. And I, you know, I don't agree with everything in that book because he kind of has this really formulaic way of thinking about it, and I don't, I don't think everything fits fits into that box. However, I think the idea and the whole idea is effective altruism, right? So being effective in our in our altruism towards the world, I think that that is a good idea, and it's something that that we should consider. Um, so don't just give to organizations just because. Uh, you know, your buddy roped you into playing in that that golf tournament, or because um, you know someone uh, someone just hits you up at the right moment. Give it a little bit of thought. In fact, give it a lot of thought and be strategic in how you give. Um, one really cool thing that um, a family member of mine, um, uh, extended family member of mine, did is that they created a, a donor advised fund, and they they basically um, work with the family every year to say, hey, let's um, talk about where we want to give some money to out of the, this fund. And I think that's a really cool way to start instilling a thoughtful process toward philanthropy, philanthropy with your kids and with yourself. Right. And it's not just bucks. It's not just bucks. Absolutely. That, in fact, bucks is the easy thing, right? That's another thing that I see is that you know we have busy, or maybe not so busy, <laughs> to be frank, um, wealthy people who they, they, they write a check and now the check is good. It's better than not the check, but I think there is a lot of value in getting out there and make, getting your hands dirty literally and doing something, um, to, uh, to support those who are in, in a different situation than yourself. Yeah. So I, I think we'll leave it at that. So today on the Indigo podcast, we have talked about, imagination beyond the struggle of life. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.